0: There was a, a like a big video that was sort of explaining some of these different types of, of videos. Another one was like unboxing videos as an example of yeah. something like that. Um, and the video that was up there when we were in the room was talking about reaction videos. Oh, boy. And how they've become such a big deal. And I've never thought about this before. But what this video posited is that, <laughs> um, is that reaction videos weren't really a thing until two thousand seven when people posted reaction videos to two girls one cup. Ah <laughs> and that, like that that is the moment in which reaction videos are born. Holy and shit. And then it and then it went on to talk about like modern day reaction videos and it was showing like, you know, kids react to weird food or something. Yeah yeah like the and Smosh it's so, stuff. Isn't it fucking crazy to think that like the 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 ancestor of those videos is people being like, oh, fuck. (laughs) 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 Jesus. Girls are eating poop.
1: Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, Season 5, Daisy Chats. My name is Alan, and I'm joined by an accessory. And I'm not talking Gucci handbag. <laughs> I'm talking podcast pal, longtime friend, and the rap game Millhouse Van Houten. It's Magellan. <laughs> How's it going, friendo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that. I went uh, there.
0: I am the rap game Millhouse. That is... That's gonna be on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> you really got me there. Um, I'm good, man. I'm trying. I've been. I tried to start this thing. So I'm a uh, teacher, a high school teacher. I tried to start this thing with my students, where instead of saying "sound good," I would say "gucci," like everything oh, gucci, bleh. and then and then their response is they go gotcha. Like, oh my god, we're, we're gotcha! And um, one of my three classes of the day loves it or yeah. loved it like adored it oh, yeah it's their favorite thing one class <laughs> was like that is stupid we're Whoa. never gonna do that <laughs> and then the third class was the one i had at the end of the day that had 28 kids in it and was always crazy and i never told them about it <laughs> because <laughs> they're not allowed worried, i was worried about what would happen yeah love um, issues but really people were really split on it I, but i can't express enough every single student in, in third period they they loved Gucci Gachi.
1: Gucci Gachi. Man, so. Gucci Gachi is my favorite Pushing Daisies character. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the episode where Ned uh investigates the death of uh the last Sicilian making pizzas in uh Little
0: Italy. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, this is a game. Uh, once we're done with this show, it's just trying to improv Pushing Daisies. Plot.
1: Improvised Pushing Daisies. It's my new yeah. uh it's my new show
0: at the Magnet Theater. Ooh. Bleh. Bleh. <laughs> no it's
1: not dump on any improv theaters they're all no no
0: no, we're not making fun of it i'm just doing a sound that's like at real life at (laughs) uh, the truth uh. (laughs) this whole show is real life that's just facts i take classes at the people's improv theater so it's a oh
1: is that your shout out
0: it's a rival theater, yeah. Shout out,
1: shout out. shout, ha! Do you want? Do they have a website? Do they have like a Twitter? Do they have like a LinkedIn?
0: Uh, I, you can go. <laughs> I don't know why I'm advertising for them, but you can go over to the pit dot slash classes. There you go. Uh, and sign up for one of their classes. I've had a good time. Anyway, it's this show's not about where to have the best improv classes in New York City. The show's yet. about yet, yeah, yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said no in the Russian. <laughs> <laughs> wait, no, wait, sorry, I'm
1: sorry, all Russian listeners, what is, I forgot which one isn't yet. Yeah, that's Russian. Yeah, but what does it mean, yes or no? It means no. Oh, my god, I was
0: right, yeah. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, I'm cool, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's going to be useful in a few years. Oh, God. <laughs> the, way this, the way this country's going.
1: Anyway. Oh, God, real life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> god, okay. bleh, real life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway this is a show about pushing daisies the television program that was on like 10 years ago It's so uh, long ago it was crazy a while ago we were in freaking middle school my man <laughs> we were in freaking well we were in high school by this point we we're freaking high school my man yeah we we're um, talking about like
1: the the manifest destiny and like not ninth grade uh we were in different history classes no who did that god yeah I don't think I, I don't think anything about ninth grade. I don't remember anything about high school until I had a good friend group, which was like tenth grade.
0: Ninth grade history was uh, half ancient world history and half yep. uh, um, U.S. Uh, civics and government.
1: Now the question is, why didn't we do more about the rest of the world?
0: Very good question. You know, I took ancient world history and then I took global history, but in a very kind of uh, Eurocentric way. Uh-huh. And then I took AP U.S. history and AP European history, so I, you know, just kind of the full spectrum of of white people, of whiteness. Yeah, never really <laughs> talked about Africa much. Afri- uh, what? If we're thinking about South America, I learned about Simone Bolivar and Jose de San Martin, and no other people. And that's
1: it—the only people <laughs> in South America that were ever important. No dictators, no uh, political movers. Don't nothing. think we
0: talked about. It. Asia in uh in any ninth grade in Man, seventh grade our teacher really loved japan and so we watched a lot of japan documentaries oh does that say you watch a bunch of anime in seventh grade <laughs> nope. loved japan just a huge weeaboo and kind of that was what we <laughs> yeah. did i watched so, all of naruto <laughs> um yeah so when i went to college and i took a history class on uh on middle eastern history i was like oh no. fuck this yeah, is wow. awesome this is sick there's this like a whole is, thing going on wow here. i have no context for this at all <laughs> this is great uh, we well, have context we, for the show here? yeah okay <laughs> thank you
1: we have context for the show that we watch this 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 season it's called pushing daisies um and we watch usually two episodes a week but this week yeah. we're running a special episode it's a special it's a two for, it's a one for That's one a special.
0: To, <laughs> it's a good way to reframe what we're doing. <laughs> I thought
1: a lot before we started recording about how should we frame this in a way that makes it sound like we're giving them more
0: somehow. Sure. I'm traveling this week. I'm going to visit my dad in Oregon. My and dad! And so it's just, it's, uh, uh makes things a lot easier for me if we... Only do one episode. So I'm sorry, folks, if you're looking forward to a, a doubleheader, but it seems like we're already going to give you as much time just because we're dicking around so much. Hell yeah. Um, so you won't get less of less content. Um, yeah, so we're only talking about one episode this week, and then we'll be back to two a week up until the end of, of the season. Of the show. But we figured we wanted to more highly value being on time than doing two episodes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's more, more a million reasons, but yeah, I think it'll still be a fun one. Yeah. Um, this week we watched season two, episode five: "Dim Some, Lose Some." Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> real life. <laughs> I love that phrase. Uh, this episode was written by Davey Holmes, directed by yeah. Lawrence Trilling, Davy. Ah, Davy. And it aired October 29th ninth, two thousand and eight. Magellan, real quickly for me, what happened in this episode?
0: Yeah, a little shorter shorter pitch for you here. Uh, the facts were these. The wife of a murdered chef, Bao Ting, did it... Okay, first of all, I feel like the name changed partway through the episode. To what? Because it was Bao Di at the beginning. No, no. Oh, because it was Lei Di. Lei Di married to Bao Di. But then later in the episode, someone said Bao Ting. Wait, is it not Bao Ting Li?
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, could it be... Di, you mean... Bao Di Li, yeah, ba- mm. no Bao
0: Ting Di. I don't know. They, mm. I think they changed it, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Anyway, the wife of a murdered chef, Bao Ting. We're getting this from the Pushing Daisies wiki. Hires Emerson to investigate the death of her husband. Meanwhile, Simone and Bubblegum pop back into Emerson's life. It's like the beginning of the episode setup, and we'll go from there. Um, Alan, what did you think of this episode?
1: I thought that her name... Um, this is actually confirmation, sorry. I needed to get it out there. Lady Ting is her name. His name is Bao Ting. So it's a first and last name. She has t- kind of two, two-part 2 first name.
0: All right. Cool. Okay. Thank, uh, you for, thank you for that.
1: I thought this was a really fun episode. Um, I liked all of the characters. I really liked the focus on the side characters that are introduced here. Um, I think it's just really... It's still kind of novel to me to see... like this much this much racial diversity on a show that whose main cast is still uh, primarily white people um, sure. like seeing this be a, like take place entirely almost in an Asian restaurant and and be about uh, and the only like romance that is in this episode that it's focused on is between two black people and it's just like this is this is what pushing days is is it's a very it's a show that takes tropes and ideas that we've seen before and reminds us that in real life uh, we don't all look the way that we look on cable TV. You know, yeah. this is mm-hmm. like a, a normal ass, like there's a gambling ring, controversy, insurance fraud, noir plot, except everybody is, uh, it, it's, it's a very, it's a very diverse. Um, yeah, it's fun.
0: Yeah. I agree. It, it lets us have a plot that in another procedural would be populated by white people probably. Um, and, has just a, a, a large variety of characters like the the concerned daughter the um kind of like the socially inept manager guy the the crazy the scary crime boss the bumbling bodyguards and everybody is is um chinese or or some variety of of asian which yeah. is um not something you see very often and at first i was sort of like uh Mm, I don't know, but I think I've come around to, to thinking that it's it's cool that they're doing a version of those tropes to kind of show, like, you, you know, it's just people at the end of the day. Like, you can, make, you can cast these characters in any way, and it, it's still a story that you recognize.
1: Right. And in most of the episode, I'd say, like, 90% of the episode, it is just people. It's not, like, the them being Asian doesn't affect the story that much other than the fact like it, you know, it's a restaurant, it's a specific type of restaurant it being a dim sum restaurant. And, but you know, you could replace pork buns with spaghetti or something like it's not, um, nothing about it makes it specifically about that. And then we talk about marrying daughters off. Yeah. Um, and we talk about like giving women away and this whole thing. And I like the daughter character, We're referring to the murdered man, uh, Bow- uh daughter. Um, yeah. And this basically, it's all—it's an insurance fraud plot, uh, like we said. And she is the prize, and it's one of those things that's like—I wanted to ask you, like, do—is that a stereotype that you've that that we think like—is that a bad? Mm. St- it's kind of—it's kind of
0: a hard thing to think about. Yeah, I can—I can see where you're coming from there. It—it it is.
1: Like, that hmm. felt weird to me. I was like, are we, like, we're doing, yeah. it. like, you know, there are so many sh- shows about Asian families and having, like, the daughter either be sold off or um having to rebel or something, and it, like...
0: <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I th- I think, to me, more so than that, this episode just felt very classic noir. um, Like, the way it's more focused on Emerson and the way it was lit and the way it was shot oh yeah. Yeah, yeah um seemed more consciously evocative of noir than like other episodes of this show are and i could see there being a movie like that from like the 50s where somebody was somebody's dad agreed to marry them off yeah you know i think that that more so than being a an a stereotype about chinese People are Chinese Americans. I think that's just like an old fashioned plot. Um, yeah. But maybe it is stereotypical to think that that culture is particularly old fashioned. Um, and that might be where that's coming from. So, so I don't know. I think I wasn't, it didn't stick out to me as much when I was watching, but I can definitely see why it would raise some questions.
1: And I mean, the noir comparison is important because. You know, we talked previously about the show keeps going back and back and back to villains and uh, murder plots having to do with money. Yeah. Like, money is like the root of all evil and pushing Daisies. It's, it's starting to seem like. Yeah. Um, and I guess you can tie that back to the themes of, you know, Ned and Chuck's whole situation because um, money is one of those things that is explicitly tied to being alive and to being like uh, in mm. the real world. Like, that's just the thing we have to deal with living. Um, and it's the yeah. thing that in death you can get past, but, um, everybody who is alive and is then, ki- or, or killed in this show, um, so far it seems like has,
0: has at some point to do with
1: money or, uh, a
0: career. Yeah. Or love. I think that right, right, right. just like in general, when you're thinking about crime, the two motivations that all human beings can understand are money, something related to money or, or envy, and something related to to love or to lust or to being spurned or or whatever. Um, and it's interesting that we have main characters who are motivated by those same things. Like Emerson is a main character who's motive, motivated almost entirely by money himself. Yeah. Um, and Ned and Chuck are main characters who are motiv- – and Olive as well – who are motivated almost entirely by love. Mm-hmm. Um, so even like – even the good characters share – some common set of motivation with everybody else in the world. It's just a matter of your context can lead you to take certain actions based on those motivations that are ultimately criminal.
1: Yeah, this is like, I feel like an episode I could see them making an old fashioned uh, poster for that has like all of the main characters and like, it feels it feels like you could totally like you said, put this back several decades and it would make sense as
0: coming out in like the 50s in black and white or something. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that's just because of, like, Chinatown, (laughs) the movie, that I'm thinking that. Um, But it does, there is something about, like, I don't know, like, specific ethnic neighborhood, uh, detective, kind of lone detective, family intrigue, betting and gambling, all of that feels like it fits in a in a classic uh noir story in a way that some of the recent plots that we've had, like you know, um like Frescorts does not really feel like a yeah. like a classic um movie in that way. Or even um the nun one that we just did that I don't yep. remember the name of. Mm-hmm. Um that also doesn't doesn't feel that way.
1: Yeah. Well those episodes end up feeling more like modern TV then. So it kind of splits the difference.
0: Right. They're more like modern kind of police procedural sort of right. things. Right. Or, and I think, yeah.
1: a cool thing that separates this episode from uh, its noir influence is the it, the the main the character uh, of Bao is murdered um, due to money problems, and that is something like they don't show n- noir doesn't often talk about the immigrant experience and what it's like mm, struggling mm-hmm. to raise a family. Yeah, and that is the center of what the, of the murder in this episode is yeah. this is a guy who's kept up late at night. Um, by the fact that he can't support his family, despite his business going very well, because it's not going well enough, and he's cutting so many corners and doing his best, but you know he has to resort to gambling. Gambling is yeah. not a thing that we do because we're doing well. You know, the, there's like this stereotype that rich people gamble, but you know, it is a known fact that the people who play the lottery the most are are, are lower income because you yeah. want. There is this myth in America that you can shovel your way out. And you're you're supposed to do that. And that's good and healthy and
0: productive. Yeah. And I don't know. That plot, the sort of like immigrant experience parent who's doing their best to support their family, that to me felt more like it was stereotypically um, an Asian American story in a way that kind of gave me some pause. Um, Not a bad way. I just, you know, it's just odd to me that like this just feels in some ways in a good way like the Asian episode and in some ways that's a bad thing for better um, and
1: for worse yeah
0: yeah and so it's something that like I'm certainly having a hard time like navigating and talking about because I'm a white guy so mm-hmm. I'm sure I've said some things or phrased some things in a way that are offensive and I I apologize for that I hope people understand my intentions or not um to do that um, but it is, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that like, oh, okay, yeah, this is set in a Chinese restaurant. So of course, like the guy who started it is an immigrant. And, um, of course there's like weird gambling going on in the community and yeah. Um, so in some ways it it's, it's good to be able to cast a, a sort of diverse cast in this episode, but on the other hand, it, it does draw on some tropes. That are like, uh I don't know if they're mm-hmm. I don't know if they're reinventing these tropes or if they're just enacting them.
1: If they just are doing the trope, right. Right. Uh I think I agree it feels weird and it sort of just feels like a substitution of characters. But yeah. uh a couple of things that worked for me about that aspect of the episode were um A, like I said, uh the side characters take a big focus in this episode.
0: Yeah. Like, just the fact that the character of Shrimp Boy gets an arc. Yeah, and he gets to make the final decision. Yeah. And the daughter has a lot of agency in this, of, like, tr- seeking out Emerson's help. And, um, yeah, and I think that's what makes the, the, like, give away the daughter plot work for me, is that she is an active participant in making sure that the murderer's found.
1: Right. She, it's an it's a like give, how, giving the child away as much as it is giving away the daughter. And uh,
0: she has control
1: of the money and what happens all, uh, in, a, in a way as well. Yeah. Um, it's a really, yeah, it, it, it's an episode that, that does reach for a lot though. Like, uh, and, and some things I think work, some things don't. Uh, the whole like Perry yeah. Long plot, um, Perry Long being the like insurance investigator thing. Yeah. Um, kind of felt to me like, Sometimes Pushing Daisies just, like, adds a third tier to its episodes just to, like, get us to its ending. Yeah. And I think that, like, Emerson sitting in the back of the restaurant with, like, Ned and Chuck and going, like, that busboy is acting weird. Who is that guy? And then he gets killed exactly the same way that Bao got killed. Um, And then him, like, getting resurrected and talking about all that stuff is just, like, oh, we are just, this is, like, a nothing plot. Because I do yeah. give Pushing Daisies credit. It's actually, like, episode lengthwise shorter than its contemporaries. Like, mm, even mm-hmm. your standard cable police procedural is, like, at least 45 minutes. And we also live in the Netflix age where everything is at least 50 minutes to an hour, mm. to an hour and yeah. a half. Um, Pushing Daisy's episodes I don't think have ever, even ever hit 45 minutes. It is so. always, like, 35 to 40 minutes. Um, I think this
0: one was maybe like 42 or 43.
1: Right. It was like just tickling it. But but like they could have, that's what I'm saying is like if they just cut that plot out, we would have, it would have been an even tighter episode.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's it felt like it was a diversion or a red herring that we didn't ever really believe. Like he's seeing these pictures of the bus boy and it's like that's supposed to mean something to us. And then as soon as we're starting to think that maybe it means something, the episode's like, no, it does. It doesn't. He's dead. Don't worry about it. Anything. Yeah. He's dead.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I felt the same way about another plot in this episode that I'm not remembering right now. Well, I mean, so the Ned stuff doesn't get a lot of time, though. Yeah. Um,
0: in a in an okay way, I think. Yeah, it
1: doesn't need to yet. It's it's set up. You know, it's not. Yeah. We we this whole season has been like Ned's whole thing has been like trying to get over himself and trying to grow up and understand who he wants to be as an adult yeah and part of that coming to that is realizing that you have family that you probably should care about in some way or at least make the effort to reach out to
0: yeah yeah so the the entirety of the ned plot is basically at the beginning of the episode there's some mysterious guy at the pie hole who's like hey you have you cook pies as good as your mom and you talk nervous like your dad does yeah (laughs) ned's like who Like, who the fuck are you? Who's Mans? (laughs) Bro. Um, He doesn't say it like that at all. Even though at the beginning of the episode he says cautious Ned has left the building and proceeds to be cautious throughout the rest of the episode.
1: Oh, um, Ned, Ned feeds himself bullshit. That's the thing, you know?
0: Yeah. He says, do you ever shiver when you pee? That's how I felt when he spoke.
1: <laughs> Alec, I, like when I read your note that said that line. I was like, wait, does Ned fall in love with someone this episode?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like a cute romance thing, I guess. <laughs> so we have this guy. His name's uh, Fred Dixon. Yep. Is that what it is? It is Fred his Dixon. name correct. wasn't Dwight? There wasn't anybody named Dwight? I don't think so. Okay. So Dixon is ostensibly looking for ned's dad and ned's like i can't help you and then it turns out ned has his dad's address which he gives to chuck um after a very it's, cute scene it's dwight scene.
1: dixon it's dwight dixon, dwight dixon. okay <laughs>
0: sorry guys um no you're good uh which he gives to chuck after a very cute scene where they have their arms folded on the table and they're just sitting their heads on their hands i really like that they have they have really great chemistry the two of yeah,
1: them yeah that i loved yeah the way that shot was framed like it's super tight on both of them and they're both like like you sit that close and you do that thing with your hands because you just kind of want to be quiet and it's like the closest thing to isolating the two of you, yeah. Uh, in 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 space together and it's just it's very charming and good and and I like both of them a lot. Yeah.
0: You just believed the way they were talking that like the other person was the only person in the world. Right. 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 Yeah. Um. Um. And so then Chuck and Olive go to this house where Ned's dad theoretically lives, and they find out that there are two. Two beautiful young boys <laughs> who lived there.
1: Two sweet men named Two Sweet uh, Men. Maurice and Ralston.
0: <laughs> I loved and Ned's reaction to yeah. that. <laughs> it was so fun.
1: I wish I wrote the whole thing. It was so long. He was just like like my dad clearly like didn't try with my name and then went overboard with them. And then he's like, Alright, nice to meet you, Mauricio and blue blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: Mercutio and like he's saying Shakespeare names. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, so they there are these these wonderful, handsome sons, who are also magicians and also live alone. Um, and yeah, we find out that Ned has half-brothers, and he meets them at the end of the episode. When he he reaches his revelation, um, even though we didn't get a lot of time with Ned this episode, I still feel like his revel- his the revelation that he receives is pretty significant. Um, yeah. Where he says, or the narrator essentially says at the end of the episode, like, Ned realized – no, no, Ned says this to Chuck. He says that it was easier for him to, like, assume why his dad did what he did than to admit that he had no idea. Right. And it's easier to sort of invent and create a narrative around people in your life who harm you so that you can sort of defend yourself. But it can be really vulnerable and scary to admit to yourself that maybe they did what they did because they had a good reason right and like maybe i have to let go of the fact that i hate this guy because i can understand why he did what he did it's like a really mature moment for ned to be able to put himself out there and say okay let's let's figure it out and
1: i think the realization also that uh his dad also left them uh yeah suggests something about his arc with his dad that like you cannot get over your fate, your fundamental flaws as a human, by just growing up and by not acknowledging them, because mm-hmm. then you'll be Ned's dad, and you will always be a person who abandons their kids. Yeah. Um, you have to work, may do, like we said last week, like you have to do the work, the uncomfortable work, of thinking about yourself and criticizing yourself. And Ned's dad clearly didn't do that, and he's just going, he's just repeating the cycle. Yeah. Uh, of 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 mess of tear, I guess tearing apart families. You know, like just. Dating, trying it out, not liking it, bouncing, doing it again, like repeat ad infinitum. And Ned yeah. is seeing the next round of, of that happening to people. I'm going like, oh, well, shit. You know, like we talked about when he bonded with Randy. In a way, he can bond. These are like the other people who had the same exact experience with his dad. Yeah. And they're his, you know, they're around his age, too, which is wild. They're not that much younger than him. So, you know, yeah. he, he yeah. was... His argument to Chuck for why he didn't want to uh, to talk to them was he didn't want to bond with them because that would make his dad happy. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to do this because it would, it would really make would happy. Really interesting. Daddy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's, his, Ned's relationship with his dad is so much of uh, his his arc in the show and this season. It feels like it's entirely about that for him. Um, yeah. I wonder, Like, do you like that more than the Ned and Chuck stuff? or do you that, well, like to me that to me, that
0: to me that is a net and chuck thing like yeah there there comes a point where so again if this show is about like a, a long-term relationship mm-hmm. then an a, an incredibly important part of maturing in a long-term relationship is being with somebody who can help you navigate things that have been really difficult for you um And like growing together and what growing together looks like. Um, Learning things from the other person, taking those things on and changing to become a better person because of what the other person inspires you to do. Ned would not be doing this at all if it wasn't for Chuck. Um, And so, yeah, it's not not about like, oh, are they going to fall in love? Oh, they went on a great date. Oh, they had a nice kiss. It's not about them in that way. But it is still about the way that they care about each other and the things that they do for each other and the the effect that they have on each other. Mm. Um, so, in like that I think, way, I I like. I guess yeah, I like it better.
1: I think than, overall, Chuck has been one of the best things for Ned because she's the first person to confront him on this stuff. Right. Like that is what I personally have always would always want out of a partner is somebody who can tell me to my face that I have a problem that needs working on and can help me through that in a way that's still affectionate and shows that they care. Cause like Olive, to be honest with you probably would not get there with Ned. Yeah. You know, cause she, she, she just like, likes him.
0: Idealizes him and, and, and that sort of thing. And Ned idealizes Chuck in a certain way, or at least he did. And maybe he's starting to move away from that. Um, but yeah, this, the show is modeling that love is about not only admiring the other person, and being doughy-eyed, but mm-hmm. being challenged by the other person um, and taking on that challenge and and pursuing it to become better yourself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so we'll probably see more from the brothers next episode. Uh, at the end, Dwight Dixon was in his car and had a gun or something. So, sure. Okay. Uh, cliffhanger, I guess. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know
1: what that means. Like he is threatening net. I mean, he's a bad guy. Like we know he's a bad guy. Um, probably, uh, it, it, it's nothing right now. It's just like a smoke. It, it's, I mean, it kind of literally a smoking gun, uh, or a Chekhov. Oh, a Chekhov's. Is it a Chekhov's gun? Magellan?
0: I, yes, it, literally it. it is.
1: <laughs> <a gun. laughs> That's what that is. Uh, yeah, we don't, I mean, we just, it's, it's a setup plot, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I like Steven Root. As Dwight Dixon, I think Steven Root's like probably he's top great, three character yeah. actors for me. Yeah. Uh, he's just fantastic. He played he can either play um hilarious, like the stapler guy from Office Space, or like That's a villain on. I swear
0: I've seen him before. Yes, he's that guy. Yeah.
1: Or he's played several really good villains. Like he can he has a ton of range. Yeah. Um. But yeah, to just uh, kind of come back to the main plot. Uh, I had a couple straight notes, Um, one being that I really like the idea of dim sum poker.
0: Um, Yeah, it was, I I thought it was cute, but very impractical. Yeah, (laughs) super. Like a waste of of food.
1: Huge waste of, because they say (laughs) they only eat the food if police come. Because the way that they dole out the hints is someone's like, oh, what's going on here? And then the old man comes to the pie hole and goes, there's an illegal gambling ring. But the police never caught them. And then they go there and they're like, oh, the illegal gambling ring is dim sum poker where instead of cards, we use food. And <laughs> we play with food and like everyone knows the values of like each type of food represents a different face. And, yeah, you know, you're listening to someone hunt and explain all of this stuff. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that's just a lot of work. Like, it's a really cool visual. It's a great the-
0: visual. It's a great <laughs> bit of um, set design or prop design or whatever you want to call it um and it's great bit of world building because i love i love the the combination of it's a dim sum restaurant but also it was like a gambling den speakeasy during prohibition yeah. that's a that's a nice kind of cocktail of settings um but then if you think even for a minute about the practicality of doing <laughs> that it's ridiculous because it's also not a full deck either true it's like a, a smaller fixed number of a variety of numbers in the deck. So someone getting a four of a kind isn't as unlikely and, and all these things. And then also just like, I don't know, five-card poker is kind of boring <laughs> to True. bet on. Um, You're more of a Texas guy? Yeah, I've been watching a lot. That, that was a, one of my more recent fascinations was watching um, video compilations of uh, Texas Hold'em. So. Oh, yeah, pretty fun stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's a really interesting game because it's like I know that he thinks that I think that he thinks kind of thing.
1: Right. It's all it's all on the head. You it's
0: know, um, game, yeah.
1: I never knew how to play poker that well. And then uh, we played poker last season on the Garnet Wager, which you can find at com. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, spoilers for that episode, but I fucking won that episode by a lot. Yeah. And like I, I kind of stumbled into it, but I was like, this is brilliant. Like even playing this online with no camera and stuff is like really fun, and I'm like imagining playing this in person with a couple people, and like it's just a good vibe. It's really exciting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Uh. But yeah, so I I liked the dim sum poker. Uh. I liked, I like the idea of everybody dressing up to go to the to like break in and sneak into the poker game. Yeah. Uh. Not a gigantic fan. I mean, I'm huge. I'm like 57 feet tall. I'm colossal, but <laughs> not the biggest fan of. Uh, like the guys get to be funny characters and then the women are all just waitresses. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It sort of felt like, like we're playing Barbie or something.
1: Yeah. And we just, like yeah. they, they didn't have any more outfit. Like they ne- Chuck is like the, the God, both Chuck and all of our, have always had amazing outfits. There is mm-hmm. like a scene where they're sitting in the pie hole and Chuck is in this like pink get up with like a pink hat. And you're like, just wear that. And like, no, we're going to wear the like traditional red dresses and, like, the heavy eye makeup of uh, the employees here. Meanwhile, Ned gets to be a cowboy, fi- fulfilling every gay man's dream of seeing Lee Pace as a cowboy. Uh-huh. Uh, and yes. then Emerson just gets to be an extremely black guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, a very much
0: more and more so.
1: Uh, just yeah, a stereotype.
0: Just like talking faster, yeah.
1: And he's got, the like, cool glasses. Yeah. Uh, and he gets caught in, like, three minutes. <laughs> like, tops. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that stuff was fun. I-, I think also, it's almost like a joke how often these characters get tied up. I think like they've been getting tied up every episode since number two when they got tied
0: up in the car. That might be true, yeah.
1: People really like rope.
0: Where's everyone getting all this rope? Uh, I don't know. The rope store.
1: The rope store. <laughs> Imagine just being the rope store employee in the town that Pushing Daisies takes place in. And just like tens of suspicious people are coming up to you. Like, yeah. yeah, I need enough rope specifically for like three medium-sized people. (laughs) Uh Uh, And he's just there. That's your living. Uh, Did you have any other um, straight notes here?
0: Yeah, I got a few. Um, I feel like Olive having a crush on Dwight Dixon means that he's Ned's dad. (laughs) But you think so? I feel like that's the case. But then he had the gun at the end And so now I don't know what is happening there. Um, And it also doesn't make sense that if that was the house that he used to live in, he would need Ned to help him find it. So that doesn't make sense anymore. But at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, that's Ned's dad. That's why she has a crush on him. Right. Um, I was a fan of the fact that we had been seeing Emerson's window behind him for a while. And you keep seeing the Chinese characters on the window and you're like, I wonder what the deal is with that. Like, yeah. Where's his office? What What's going on? And then we just do an episode where we see what's downstairs. That's that's cool. That's sort of a similar idea to what I was talking about when we did an episode about the nunnery. We'd seen the nunnery a couple of times and then the show's saying, and now here it is. We'll go into this corner of the world. Um, it was a question that I had in my mind and they they fleshed it out and they answered it. Um, so I appreciated that. I had a thought, I was wondering in the scene where Emerson and Simone, um, first encounter each other in this episode, there were a couple like long pauses that the actors had to make for the narrator to to say stuff. And it made me wonder how they did that on set. And if that was like awkward to do, um, like holding for the narrator to say his lines. I'm assuming somebody off camera just read them, but I hadn't thought about that before.
1: before yeah, that. I I would love to watch the behind the scenes. That doesn't like it's just from the them filming it, and you just have to hear like some like Doug from a ca- from from the guy who runs the fucking what's the microphone that you put on top of people's heads, boom mic. Yeah, <laughs> Mike the boom mic guy is like, and then the narrator says, "And Ned, the facts were these." And they just have to stand there quietly for thirty seconds, and then they cut to a flashback. Yeah, uh, I love. I always love seeing. That's really fun for horror movies too. When you're like, mm-hmm. you watch the behind the scenes, and you're like, oh, and then a big monster is supposed to come out, but really, it's just it's Kevin mm-hmm. <laughs> in blue balls or something. <laughs> my my last note uh, was that it's kind of interesting to think about how the show because we have it. We actually we got a new title sequence this episode. Yeah, uh-huh. which basically is like a panning, like a sweeping shot through like a field of daisies and like the credits come up in them. And the narrator tells us the whole premise of the show with all the characters and every major player. Yeah. Uh, Interesting that the premise is, you know, detective who can bring people back to life for a minute, but the people he brings back to life almost never give him the good hints. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's not like he doesn't like his power almost never saves the day. It just kind of gets us to the next thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like the the coolest use of it in this episode is actually with uh, the insurance guy uh, because uh, pretty long because he gets killed the same way that the the main guy gets killed. But they're like, "All right, well, you thought you were out of this, but you're not out of this. Touch."
0: Right. In a no- in a normal murder mystery, that's like, ah, shit! Damn, it just He's missed dead. the thing. Yeah.
1: So they get to be like, "Oh shit!" Just oh wait, oh sweet, awesome. This this dead body at the beginning, the guy who actually was like the center of the plot, um yeah. having the pipe through his head, slightly less ghoulish than like bees falling out of your mouth or formaldehyde vomit, but still kinda
0: fucked. Still kinda ghoulish. I also was weirded out by Ned's line where he says, Let's be delicate, he may not speak English. Ugh. Right before he brought him back to life. That was I don't know how to feel about that line exactly. Yeah.
1: I was gonna mention this earlier, but I, again one of the things that makes them coming to this Asian restaurant and talking to all these people feel less weird is uh, Chuck speaks fluent Chinese and is willing and comfortable to like speak Chinese to people and not like mm-hmm. they it's really easy to write a plot like this and have at some point like people start yelling in Chinese and the main character is like uh, what's going on this is
0: weird it's true yeah
1: but instead they're like no no like we have a main character who like her entire investigation skill besides her personality and her ability to disguise herself is That she can speak basically every language.
0: Yeah, because she didn't... She Wasn't she able to speak another language in a previous one?
1: Yeah, well, they explained it because she had a lot of free time as a kid and just, like, spent it listening to old, like, audio cassettes. Mm -hmm. So that was just her hobby was, like, learning all the languages.
0: What was the other one?
1: What was the other hobby?
0: No, the other language that she did this with. Uh, German, I think. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. I believe so, yeah. Talking about that scene... Sometimes it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief about the fact that, like, these people don't just re-die as soon as Ned brings them back to life. Like, this guy has a has pipe through his brain. He shouldn't be able to talk. That's he a should, good point. He should just be dead.
1: Or, like, um, that other guy was full of formaldehyde. That, that's going to, like, burn your body.
0: Yeah. Or, like uh. how, like, if somebody is full of bees or whatever <laughs> like, how are they able to talk to you um i let it go because you know it's a whimsical magical show but it, it's hard to take it seriously sometimes um let's see ned oh when he writes his dad's address for chuck he takes oh, out his yeah. little notebook and she's like what's that and, he, and he's like it's my clue pad for writing down clues oh <laughs> so precious
1: it's like i love that you have a. She, she says what i'm thinking which is like i love that you have a clue pad <laughs>
0: yeah for clues Um, we, we have, we didn't really talk about the Emerson Simone relationship. Yeah. I was going to read that here. Um, I'm not, it, they don't have great chemistry. I feel like not, not enough to explain why they had sex.
1: I mean, it, she'd seduced him. Like it's, you know, like uh, there's,
0: there was never really a moment where I believed that they were infatuated with each other. Um, and maybe that's just because of the their characterizations like she's a very reserved serious person and he's always dismissive of of emotion um but i just didn't really ever buy like oh oh my god oh my god they're making out of course that's crazy
1: (laughs) i agree they don't have a lot of chemistry definitely um definitely definitely but i like simone hunden as a character i like that she can just kind of as a recurring person slide herself into different plots like she's a gambler but she's also a dog reader but she also still can um snap to make Emerson do stuff uh, she's very versatile in the plot um but now what is her purpose beyond having giving Emerson somebody to be involved with you know what I mean like yeah that's just is her purpose is and this is a question for maybe you or for the audience or for whatever. Is Simone Hunden's purpose now to be versatile or is it to be somebody like to cause Emerson stress? Like,
0: Is she just his femme fatale and that's as far as it goes? Right. It It doesn't seem like this show is putting her, her in a position to have plots or to have a sort of significance beyond like the effect that she has on Emerson. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's true some lines though that came out of that scene where they where they bone that I thought <laughs> were pretty good. Yeah. Um Emerson says the more into somebody I am, the greater the odds it's going to end badly. Uh so we learn a little bit about him there and about him being cautious after whatever happened with his daughter's mom. Mm. Um and then they there's some smoochin and then <sighs> <laughs> narrator's like this is the first time the private investigator had ever been ordered to and then she snaps her fingers and she says come,
1: come? Is it, like, <laughs> wait are you guys allowed to say that as naughty <laughs>
0: there's yeah, a this lot is a, yeah. this is a pretty pretty dirty show
1: I uh, I wrote here that the show is now it's becoming explicitly, explicitly horny whereas it's often been implicit uh, they're just doing it now because um, Ned and Chuck stuff is like that's why it felt weird that she just gets naked for him. It's like, oh, I guess, yeah, sex is a yeah, thing. Yeah, it, because it
0: doesn't feel like it fits the, the sort of tone of a show that always starts with a flashback to childhood.
1: Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> and then, like, has a narrator who's, like, from the Harry Potter movies. Like, it feels like yeah. a show kids can almost watch.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, it's either,
1: it, it can be dark, but, like, sexual is not. It does, just feels thing. off.
0: But it. You know, but it still falls into the range of topics that you talk about when you have a show that's so frank about like, about real relationships. You can't have that show without, without sex and without physicality. Um, But yeah, it feels totally, it feels like when the narrator in in the last episode said the word badass. (laughs) You're like, ooh, no, that's not your tone, Pushing Daisies. Pushing. Pushing Daisies. Um, I love every shirt in Emerson's wardrobe. They're all, all of good. Them. They're all great shirts.
1: I think you've confirmed that one of the screenshots I took has to be the thumbnail. I have a good like Emerson and uh uh oh my god, what's her name? Simone. Uh in like Chinatown with like all of the cool Chinatown like lights and stuff behind them. And
0: his shirt is just on it's just fantastic. Yeah.
1: He's so cool looking all the time.
0: Um two last notes here. First of all, I liked that, um, what was his name? Shrimp Boy? Yeah, Shrimp Boy. Shrimp Boy. I like that Shrimp Boy is the one who makes the moral decision at the end of the episode. That's sort of a, a reversal where you think that he's the bad guy or that he's the killer or something. And then it turns out that he has this code of honor that he follows. And I, I don't know. I just I appreciated that. Um, and then one line that I thought was really funny is the narrator was talking about that the tea that they used to send the, the bodyguards to the bathroom. And he was like, and the, the leaves oh, yeah. cause an uncomfortable fullness of the bladder. And then they're like, boss, I've got an uncomfortable fullness of the bladder. <laughs> Me too.
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to like that line. I, I just like so I was like line. something specifically about that. It's the character it's like a t-ball kind of joke is what i described that as like yeah. they said the thing and then the other guy said the thing and that's hilarious
0: <laughs> yeah like in an improv show that that would kill because it's like oh yeah. they're they're listening to each other <laughs> like <laughs> the things that they say matter and exist right um, that's why i liked it I, and yeah when the narrator's lines
1: matter that's fun because they don't acknowledge the narrator obviously um although we are i have a thing to note about that later when we do our little ending thing um do you want to do our little ending thing now that i'm yeah, let's do it. All that so, usually... We, we were trying to do trivia for a while in the first season and we realized that the show doesn't have a lot of good trivia, but I found... Excuse me, I had to hiccup. Um, I found a really cool Mental Floss article mm. called 15 Lively Facts about Pushing Daisies. Okay. Uh, and I did skim it already, so I will tell you that some of these are kind of cool. Great. It was originally intended to be a spinoff of Dead Like Me. The mm. other, like, cancelled uh Show from the early 2000s, also by Brian Fuller, which no, it mean it makes sense. Like I offered
0: the job of Grim Reapers. They get rapidly healing physical bodies. Is this the one that I've maybe seen a clip from the first episode? I think so. I think so. Interesting. Uh There's that. There's also, you know,
1: do you want to know who turned down playing Ned? Yes. yes Adam Brody is. from the OC. <laughs> <laughs> Just a young, handsome guy. I mean, it works. You just need a young, handsome guy, but I don't think he's enough of a mensch to, <laughs> to be. Yeah,
0: right. yeah, he's a little too square-jawed. He, uh, couldn't re- sh- he couldn't really shrug his shoulders the way that uh, that Lee Pace can.
1: Lee Pace brings a physicality to this role that's incredible, and that's just a fact. He's perfect. Yeah, I love it. Richai McBride pitched Emerson's backstory himself. Ooh. That's fun. Uh, referring to all the daughter stuff. Oh. Uh, Anna Friel, who we always forget is British uh chuck is british the actress who plays chuck is british
0: oh yeah yeah i feel like she she does kind of say things a little off sometimes
1: every time i think about that i notice her accent yeah uh she was pretty method she would use an american accent all day on set and uh would kind of it says here dubbed the anna by director barry sonnenfeld anna Friel would before scenes pump her arms rapidly like someone running in place to keep her energy up uh, eventually Lee Pace and the actresses who plays both of the uh, the aunts, Susie Kurtz and Ellen Green, uh, did it as well. So that huh. explains why she is constantly bubbly, at least partially. Um, speaking of method acting, Lee Pace stayed in character, uh, whenever Friel tried to hug him, which is super cute.
0: I'm like, oh, stop it. Oh,
1: uh, there was a rule from Barry Sonderfeld about having no blues whatsoever on this, uh, um, on this show, like no blues in the soundtrack. Production designer Michael Wiley's... the
0: genre of music. Yes,
1: yes, yes, sorry. I see. Because production designer Michael Wiles, and you'll like this part, instruction from Sonnenfeld was, quote, virtually no blues. Uh, No blues at all. The director hated... Oh, the color blue. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's even more interesting. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. Yeah. Director hated blue before revealing another bigger influence on the show was... The work of Nighthawks artist Edward Hopper.
0: Oh, I can uh, see that. Doesn't that
1: suddenly make a lot? Isn't the piehole just Nighthawks? Yeah, <laughs> like the, the way that it's always shot on the Reds the and the greens
0: and the yellows. Hey, there it is. Wow.
1: Yeah, I would love to just get a full list of like. Tell me everything the show is inspired by. I would. I love huh. getting that as like extra reading material. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and. Fuller never wanted to reveal how Ned got his powers. That makes sense. Uh, here's a really fun one. Uh, had the series continued, the narrator would have appeared. And No. 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 Fuller intended to put Jim down in front of the camera. He also later revealed that Cy, Richard- Cy Richardson's coroner character was gay, and his infatuation with Emerson would have been introduced as a subplot if the Washington nice. had not been canceled. Cool. Hell yeah. That makes all those scenes uh, work for me a little bit better. That's really nice. They, all they're yeah. like they're fun back and forth. I just want I miss the coroner. Now I'm sad that we don't get more of the coroner. Yeah. I really hope this show doesn't like. End. I've heard things about how it ends. Like it ends. Um, it got canceled, so it ends suddenly. But uh, it, it kind of resolve or, though. Yeah, yeah. It like, but it it resolves clean. Like it resolves like, oh, we gotta go like really rapidly. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know we'll see in several weeks. Hmm. Um, But that's what I got, man.
0: Yeah, man. Great. That's great stuff.
1: Now, uh, even though they heard it last week, um, just to reiterate for the kids at home, um, you want to tell us which episodes we're watching next week on Daisy Chats?
0: Yeah. So you heard one of these last week. um, And you'll hear a new one right now. All right. So next week. We are so we're gonna go um, next week. We'll watch season two, episodes six and seven, and then we'll go eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and that'll be uh, the rest of Daisy chats. So we've really only got one, two, three, four episodes of Daisy chats left. Can you believe it? Oh my god! Yeah. We're, we're in the and, middle of August, and we know what we're watching next, right, Alan? So we we do. Oh yeah, boy! So, so don't don't be too stressed out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we think you'll like what what we've what we're gonna serve up to you. But uh, before we get there. Next week we are watching season two episodes six and seven. First we'll watch episode six. Oh oh oh! It's magic. Uh, we were excited about this summary last week, so let's read it again. Famed magician the Great Herman, played by Fred Willard, hires Emerson Cod to come to the conjurer's castle to track down the killer of his animal assistants. Meanwhile, Ned makes a discovery of his own at the castle involving his newly found half brothers, uh, who we know are magician guys. So that makes a little more sense. Oh now. yeah. Yeah. Then, season two, episode seven, "Robbing Hood," a lawyer for the late Gustav Hoffer, played by Shelley Berman, suspects his client's death was not a part. Of, uh, bleh, sorry, a lawyer for the late Gustav Hoffer, played by Shelley Berman, suspects his client's death was not part of a robbery gone wrong, as was reported, but rather murder. He hires Emerson Cod and Ned to find out who killed Hoffer. Meanwhile, Dwight Dixon, played by Stephen Root, romances Vivian much to the disgust of Lily, and discovers uh-oh. that Chuck is still alive.
1: Uh-oh. Yeah, uh-oh. It's a mild spoiler. That's chill. Yeah. Um, exciting. Very exciting. hmm Let's take it to the plug zone. If you would like to contact us here at the Daisy Chat Studios, you can do so by tweeting at us at Chatspod. Uh, that's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. You can also email us at Chatspod at gmail.com. Uh you can send us emails there. If you say it's okay, we will read them on the show in the middle of the episode and it'll be a fun time. Uh please we encourage you to rate us on iTunes and whatever whatever other podcast platforms you may use because that's how people hear about the show. And finally, if you would like to support us uh and support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com/chatspod and if you toss us a couple of bucks over there, you get some cool exclusive content um every month. John where can yeah. people find you on the online? People can find
0: me online on Twitter at justafluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. They can also listen to my voice on another show called adulthood at adulthood.simplecast.fm. Alan, what about you? You're not on Twitter right now. Correct. But you can
1: listen to me on two other podcasts, one of which is The Carnet Wager, which is found at ScanlineMedia.com. As mentioned before, it is where my friend Six and I watch the Korean game show The Genius and currently, we are playing Fantasy Genius, which is like a sort of fantasy football-esque thing, except we're watching a game show. So yeah, uh, nice. check that out. It's really fun. And you can also listen to Fireside Friends, a monthly podcast on at FiresideFriends.net, where I, my friends Ryan, and Katie talk about pop culture and sort of a more broad and chill environment. So that's where we're at. Kids, teens, adults, moms, dogs, people named Bryce. <laughs>
0: I have a coworker named Bryce. He's great.
1: Is he great? That's great. Yeah, he's great. Br- Does Bryce listen to the show?
0: No. All right, follow-up
1: question. Why doesn't Bryce listen to the show?
0: Because I, I don't think he knows it exists.
1: <gasps> well, uh that's something we're going to have to fix, isn't it, Mr. Spaghetti?
0: Yeah, you're right, Mr. M- Mr. Can- P- Penny.
1: Can you imagine somebody that you work with discovering your show without you telling them and then they're like, "Wait, are you Michelle from Chat?" <laughs> oh my, <laughs> my god. god. <sighs> In <laughs> real, real life. life.
0: <laughs> 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 and scene. Great. Good stuff.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Daisy Chats. Keep on living.